0: All right, all right, all right. I know you're thinking that was a fast five minutes. I need you to make your way back to your seats, please. And uh, we're going to jump into the message. And uh, as you're moving back to your seats, thank you so much for being here. As Rick—I'm going to own this. There actually wasn't a community time plan right there. Okay, so that's on me. That's not on Rick. That's my fault. But you got to touch base with each other. So how cool is that, right? So um, I'm going to jump right in, okay, because we're doing the service the way we're doing it so that we can practice what I'm preaching on, okay? And just let me tell you with me saying that, you're going to want to be here. I hope you want to be here every week, but in two weeks from today, it is going to be a worship experience that is very different from our typical Sunday morning. We're going to give all kinds of opportunities to worship in unique ways, and so I want to highly encourage you to make sure that you are here two weeks from today. If you're watching online, this would be a great place to be in two weeks from today. I'm sorry, my iPad is singing right now. I don't even know why. Okay, so uh, now let me jump into this. Let me pray because I'm all over the place. So let's pray. Father, we calm our hearts before you. As we resume this conversation about worship i pray that we would be desperate for you lord Lord, i i pray i want to pray that you would speak to us but i know that you do the question is will i hear what you have to say And so I pray for me, Lord. This has been a big thing for me. And I pray for my friends who are here this morning. I pray that we would hear from you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, a few months ago, I... Uh, met Liz Becker's son-in-law, Mike, and uh, Mike and I hit it off. We are are brothers from different continents, okay, and we have a lot in common. He's from Ireland. I wish I had an Irish accent, Um, but the one thing that we really connected on is our mutual love for four guys, Larry, Adam, The Edge, and Bono. They make up what is known as U2, my favorite band. If you've been here at Lighthouse, you know that these guys, they com- they comprise my favorite band. They're amazing, okay? And I remember the first time that I ever saw U2 in concert. It was November 18th, 1987, on the uh, Joshua Tree tour. And the Joshua Tree album was really kind of what launched you two in the stratosphere of superstardom as a band, okay? And so I got to see them November 18th, 1987, at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. And so we went there and the opening, I remember, you know, there's a group of us that went and and we were sitting at probably about like maybe the forty or fifty yard line and and the band was down here at this end in the end zone around here. And uh, and uh, you know, the the Bodine's Open Forum, and the Dalton Brothers, which people didn't recognize at the time, was U2 dressed up as a country band, okay? And they came out and did a couple songs. And then the Pretenders, if you're an 80s person like I am and you love 80s music, you remember the Pretender, Chrissy Hynde, and, and all of them, and they came out. And nobody's really listening to the opening band, okay? I mean, there are literally probably 60,000 people there or more and uh, I think and and we're all kind of we're there for one reason you too and so we're kind of talking and pretenders get done they're the last warm-up act before you two comes out and so you know that we're all kind of talking and 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 hanging out people are going to the bathroom and buying souvenirs and stuff like that and after about 20 minutes no lie all of a sudden all of the lights in the coliseum just go poof, pitch black in the place and the crowd erupts ah, we're going nuts if all of a sudden you just begin to hear the strain of edge's guitar as he begins to play where the streets have no name and and we're just oh this is incredible pitch black we can't see the stage can't barely see each other Right? And as Edge gets to the moment where the the climax of the beginning of the introduction, right as Larry Mullins Jr. and Adam Clayton crash in with the drums and the bass, the flame, the Olympic flame just goes like that and explodes, and everybody just goes nuts. We were together, it was an amazing moment of togetherness, and we were brought together by one band, you two, 60, 70,000 people, or however many people were there. We were all together in unison singing Where the Streets Have No Name. It was an epic moment that I will probably never forget. And I think about that when it, when it comes to worship. There's something about being together at a concert, right? There's something about being together at a sporting event where we all come together and we're all as passionate about why we're there as the person that we're sitting next to. We are passionate about being in this moment together. It's made better Right? That concert, that sporting event, wherever you are, whatever you're participating in, is made better because we're together. We're experiencing this moment together. So, all of this is set up to ask a simple question Why do we come to church? Why do we come to church? or maybe the better question is why do you come to church why do you come to church let's talk about this shall we let's talk about why you and I come together and I'm gonna keep this kind of simple Okay, I'm going to keep this kind of simple. Gathering together for worship is biblical. Can we all just start out with a, an understanding in this foundation, whether, whether you've been following Jesus for, you know, a hundred years, or maybe you're not following Jesus. But biblically, the scriptures tell us that we are supposed to gather together. We can, can we all just accept that so I don't have to put, well, let me just give you, uh, you know, one scripture. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Not giving up meeting together. But why? Why should we meet together what's so important why should we want to come together why should my heart be hyped every time i come together with you on sunday morning why should my adrenaline be flowing what what is it about church that should be like that you two experienced when the lights went out and my heart just went here it comes right And you put yourself in that position where your heart flutters like that. Why should it be like that when we come to church on Sunday morning? The answer as to why we should come together rests in this this simple question Who is worship for? Who is worship for? It's interesting because Rick Warren says this in the very first words that he wrote in his book, uh, The Purpose Driven Life. He says, it's not about you. It's not about you. Worship is not for you. Worship is not for me. Worship is solely and completely for God. It's not for me. It's not for you. Therefore, God is not as concerned. Let me just say this. I know some of you might get upset about this, and I don't really care. If you got a problem with this, take it up with God. God is not as concerned about the songs that you sing. God is not as concerned about the message that you hear. God is infinitely more concerned about your heart in worship. God is concerned about our heart. So here's the thing. I had this message all done pretty much. And this morning, we come together on on Sunday morning at 8 o'clock, 8.05 to be precise, the elders, some of the elders, the worship team, the tech team, we all gather together right there at Center Court, and we pray. We pray for the Holy Spirit. This morning, we were praying for God to, to speak to us when it comes to worship. And God, I like change. I really do. You can ask, Sean. I like change. I like change. I don't like change on Sunday morning when I've already got things set up. And God's like, I want to go someplace different. And so I was kneeling right about there where you're sitting, Jerry. I was kneeling right there, kneeling, praying, and God gave me four words. Four words that I believe that God wanted me to share this morning. So you got to know, this next part of this message was put together in the last 40 minutes. And if it fails horrifically, it's God's fault. (laughs) But I don't think it's going to. I don't think it's going to. There are four words for us to understand about worship. Four words that we have to have. That have to be seared into our heart in order to understand the importance of worship and our role in it. So I don't have any slides for this next part. That's why John got me this whiteboard so I can do it old school and write them. Okay? So the first word is the word undeserved. Undeserved. Our presence before the one and only infinitely powerful God our presence before him is undeserved we do not deserve to be in the presence of God scripture says that all have sinned and all fall short of God's glory And it says that the wages for that sin, the payment that we receive for that sin is death. Not mostly dead, but all dead. We die. Not just physically here on earth, but eternal damnation. And I know we don't like to talk about that, but that's what it comes down to. And it's not God's choice to send anybody to hell. It's the choices that we make to distance ourselves from God. And because God loves you so much, he did everything so that we could be together with him. He paid the ultimate price. He traded his life for your life. He traded his life for my life. And in the most famous passage of scripture in John 3:16, it says for God so loved the world. And you can put your name in there. For God so loved Doug. For God so loved David. For God so loved Carrie, you put your name in there. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him and confesses him will have eternal life. But we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it, and we can't earn it. And until we come face to face with that situation in our lives, that in and of ourselves, we will die and go to hell. Worship is just singing a bunch of songs and listening to some guy just yammer on. Until we come to that place where we understand What we deserve, but grace, oh, the glory of God in grace. That He he offers to me His grace and His mercy because of His agape, unconditional love. Until I understand that without Him I am dead, it doesn't matter. My worship is flat. I come here, I sing the songs, I tolerate the message, I say hi, high-five a couple people, and leave here the same person I was when I came in. But when I understand God's love and the fact that I don't deserve it and I can't earn it, all of a sudden my heart melts. Undeserved. Second, Second word. The second word. Is desperate. The second word is desperate. Desper- desperation is an interesting thing. I-, I want you to think about this, okay? I want you to think about um, going scuba diving. And I know there are some of you who are like me who are like, yeah, it ain't gonna happen. If I can't touch the ground, I ain't going in the water because sharks live there, okay? But I want you to put your kind of yourself in this position. You go scuba diving, okay? And you're out. You're out with some friends, and, and you're you're out. You're having a great time, and you go you go down deep. And all of a sudden, your air tank cuts out. Either you lost track of time, and you don't you don't know, or you know you forgot, and you don't. And, and, and it goes out. Or maybe there's a malfunction in your air tank. And the surface is too far away for you to get there and live. And you are on your last seconds of life. You are barely hanging on to consciousness when you look below you and you see an old air tank. And you think, man, that's, that's too far away. I don't think I'm going to make it. Would you quit? Would you stop? Would you be like, ah, it's too far away. I'm, not, I'm just going to give up and die. No, that's not what you would do. That's not what I would do. I would start swimming for all I'm worth because that tank represents my hope for life that tank represents my salvation and I will swim toward that tank with a desperation that nobody has ever seen before because my life hangs on getting to that tank I am a desperate man right now is that clear enough for you are you with me Are you feeling desperate? Are we that desperate for God? Uh, Let me ask it this way. Are you that desperate for God? See, when God is only our get-out-of-jail-free card, we'll make every effort to see Him when it fits in our schedule. Sunday mornings, 930 30. Got it down. But if something better comes on, I'm sure God will be okay with that. Are we desperate to be with God when we realize that He is our only hope? When we realize that all of our salvation for all of eternity rests in Him, we begin to become desperate to be with Him when we recognize the depth of his love and sacrifice for us, it creates a desperation within us to be with him. Are you desperate, desperate to be with God, that you would do anything to be with him, anything to be with him? And if not, then maybe this is the first place you start that you begin to pray. There's there's been a word that God has been putting into my brain and it keeps coming up over and over and over and over again. And it is this word, desperate. That I would be desperate for Holy Spirit to live in me. I want to be desperate to be with God and to worship Him. To know the words that Paul wrote for me to live as Christ and to die. His gain! to be desperate, and maybe you're like me, that this is the first you begin to pray for a holy desperation. For a holy desperation. The third word, the third word is passionate. That we become passionate in our worship for God. When we look at our favorite sports teams or we look at our favorite artists or our hobbies, we become passionate about them. We give our whole selves to those things that we are passionate about. We will take risks. We will do things that people find questionable or embarrassing, but we don't care because it's our passion. I've been to the big house at U of M numerous times and those people are passionate about the Wolverines, the same way that the Spartans are passionate about Michigan State, the same way that Notre Dame is passionate about the Irish, the same way that that team down south, well, we'll leave that alone. We're passionate I've said I've got a friend who has season tickets, and, and we'll go, I'll go with him to games. And the people, I mean, the people there, when U of M scores a touchdown, they erupt in Hail to the Victor's Valley. And it's not, nobody's on the side going, Hail to the Victor's Valley. Hail to the Conquering. Yeah, I hope nobody sees me. Hail, hail. They are going nuts. Hail, hail. Michigan. I mean, it's just crazy bands going crazy. There's a dude that sits like two rows down rows, us, and he's got a cowbell. And he's just, he's just cowbelling it up, okay? He doesn't care what other people think, and everybody's with him. He's passionate about the Wolverines. Listen to me. Listen. Passion. Passion is your heart's response to that which captivates you passion is your heart's response to that which captivates you. And I'll be honest with you, we all show that passion differently, okay? One of the things I love about Trisha, Trisha's passionate she will sing before the Lord. She'll lift her hands. I see some of you, and we lift our hands together before the Lord. But for some of us, that's not how we get passionate, okay? Maybe it should be, but but we don't. But how do you become, what does passion look like for you? And how do we get passionate before the Lord? Because passion is your heart's response to that which captivates you are you captivated by God because if you're captivated by God you will be passionate in your worship and I don't know entirely what that looks like for you okay I know what it looks like for me I'll raise my hands I used to care what you thought and I don't anymore because I'm not here to worship you or care what you think about my worship I'll get on my knees. I'll come to the altar. I love the altar. Okay? But for some of you, maybe that's not how you're passionate. But don't downplay passion by saying, well, that's just not how I am. Because it's a heart thing. It's what captivates your heart. If you want to know what your passion looks like, look at your favorite thing that you're most into your hobby, your team, your artist, you'll do anything to be with them and you will stand in front of a painting and go, oh, be still my heart. Oh, that's beautiful. And you'll be in awe of it. For some of us, maybe passion. There have been times I've been—I've just been silent. I, I couldn't sing. I couldn't. Because I was overwhelmed by the presence of God and my passion forced me to be quiet before Him. are you passionate does God captivate your soul and if he does what's that look like passion gives us the strength to not care passion gives us the strength to not care what other people think I love to sing I love to sing loud and I feel bad for the people who are around me okay but I love to sing loud. I will come home from a U of M game horse or with a sore throat or whatever. Do I ever do that when I leave church? Am I ever that passionate before God? Are you passionate about God? And how do we know? The last word, the last word is this. Intentional. Intentional. We'll talk about this word intentional more next week, okay? But worshiping God is all about intentionality. And it starts with my heart. It starts with my heart choosing to intentionally focus on God when I come together with you. Does that mean that God can't interrupt my day? When I'm driving and go, hey, you really should turn off this podcast or you should kick off, you know, ESPN on the radio and just, yeah, God can do that. But when we come together, it requires when I worship him to be intentional when I'm with you. To make worship about me, to not allow myself to be distracted, but to give my whole self to worshiping God physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And if you put those four things together, you know that worship is work. It's why when I go to an incredible time of worshiping God in a group setting, I could go home and be tired because worshiping God is work. It's glorious work. It's joyful work because we are in the presence of, of the one that we don't deserve to be around. And we are desperate to be with him. And we are passionate in our worship of him. And we're intentional. And when we recognize that we're coming to church to meet with God, it should change how we worship. It should change our attitude toward worship. It goes from singing songs that I like or I prefer to singing songs to God about God in love, in love. I remember, Tricia, you did a song years and years ago when I first came here. It's called The Balm of Gilead. And you can't imagine the jokes that we had around the office about the balm of guilt. I'd never heard it. I went to Marty, and I said, Marty, I've never, have you heard that song before? And Marty was like, no, I've never heard that song before. And yet, even though I'd never heard that song, that become, the words become worshipful to me because it's not for me or about me. It's my heart passionately devoted to singing in love to the one that loves me the most. It's not about listening to a message to be entertained. It's about listening to a message to hear God's voice to me so that I live passionately like the master. It goes from connecting with people out of duty to connecting with people in order to connect with God. And we're going to have an opportunity to do that later when we were actually originally supposed to do it. Okay? God wants to be with you. I I start many services by saying this. If you don't hear anything else I say, hear this. God loves you. I don't deserve it. You can't earn it. But that's how much he loves us. He wants to commune with you. He longs to be with you. Worship is our life with him. For us today, it means forgetting everything we've thought of about worship in the past. Or even more importantly, it means letting go of what we have made worship out to be. Let me say that again. Because I think there are a number of us, me included, that need to hear this. Maybe even more importantly, it means letting go of what I have made worship out to be. And it means just coming back to God and coming back to the heart of worship. One of my favorite worship leaders is a, uh, a guy by the name of Matt Redman. And uh, back in the a number of years ago, um, the Passion Worship movement was going strong, and Matt Redman was one of the uh, songwriters and worship leaders. And he's from England, um, so that just automatically makes him cool. But he he was um, he had noticed that his church had basically made an idol out of worship music, that more than singing songs to God, they loved just getting together and singing songs about God. And they realized that they weren't really worshiping God. They were just worshiping the music. And so they canceled the music in the worship services for an extended period of time. And then Matt Redman wrote the song, Uh, and he wrote it along with another gentleman and it starts out when the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come longing just to hear and he goes on to sing and then the words of the chorus say this can you send me to the chorus please it's right at the end at the very end i'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you it's all about you jesus i'm sorry lord for the thing i've made it but it's all about you it's all about you jesus and i'm going to ask the band to come up right now and and i sprung this on michael this morning I he said, hey, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But can we do this song? And he said, yeah, we can do that. And so I'm going to ask us to do this. Would you stand with me? And, and I want you to just consider these four words as, as we consider worship. That none of us deserves to be with God, to be around God, to have God's influence in us. And the question is, are you desperate for God? Are you desperate for Him? Do you worship with passion? Or am I too concerned about what the people around me are going to think? And the Apostle Paul wrote, if I'm more concerned about pleasing men than I can't possibly please God. Do I want to worship God Desperately? and passionately? And am I worshiping him intentionally? Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we give thanks to you in this moment. Thank you for changing up this morning. And Lord, I know that you have spoken into my heart And you have challenged me in my own worship of you. And Lord, I just pray for my friends right now, as we do business in our own hearts, to think about whether am I desperate, do I have a holy desperation to be with God? And does that desperation reveal itself in my passion when we're together? Do I come to you intentionally with my mind cleared and my heart ready to worship you? I'm just gonna give a moment. I'm just gonna give a moment for the Lord to speak to us and to you and where are you in this arena of worship what is Holy Spirit saying to you right now about worship